Good. If you're able to stand, we invite you to do so. So get ready to read our scripture passage, Luke chapter 7. The pericope really comes from verses 36 through 48. I'm going to read uh, verses uh, 36 through 40 and then skip down to verse 47. Uh, there's a story that we're skipping, but we'll cover in the, in the message. I chose the King James Version because I, there's some language here that I really want to pick up on around this notion of sinner. So here it is. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he, Jesus that is, went to the Pharisee's house, sat down to eat. Behold, a woman in the city, city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stood at his feet behind him, weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw all of this, he spoke a thought to himself, saying, obviously this man, if he was a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is was touching him. The girl is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, hmm, Simon, I have something to say to you. So Simon said, hmm, teacher, say it. And Jesus tells him a story, which we'll cover in the text, but here's the sum total of it. Jesus says, therefore I say to you, here's the conclusion of it, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much. To whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he looks at the woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. Would you say that with me? Say, your sins are forgiven. Please be seated. Uh, this story is about uh, Jesus and a Pharisee named Simon, but I want to start this message by focusing on another dialogue between Jesus and a different Pharisee. In the Gospel of John chapter 3, we find this dialogue between Jesus and a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. Now, in uh, Jesus' day, uh, most of the Pharisees uh, rejected the notion that Jesus was uh, the Son of God, rejected the notion that he was God with us, and actually was offended by it. But there were a few Pharisees who were open to exploring this idea with Jesus, and Nicodemus was one. So under the cover of night, Nicodemus showed up, had a conversation with Jesus. He didn't want anybody to know he was talking to Jesus. So he said, essentially, comes to Jesus, he says, look, Jesus, I don't know whether or not you're the son of God or God with us. I don't get that. But listen, clearly God is doing something in your life because all these miracles you work. So uh, can you kind of explain it to me? Jesus begins to explain exactly who he is and all that, how all that works. And then comes verse 16, which is very hard of what we call the gospel. Everybody shout, good news. Good news. That's what the word gospel means that will ultimately become super clear after Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. So here's what Jesus describes. He really describes this remarkable love of God. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This version says eternal life. Shout eternal life. Shout everlasting life. 
That means life that goes on and on and on. What Jesus is saying is that if you know him, yes, death will come, but it will not be a period in the sentence of your living. It'll be a comma as you transition to life everlasting, everlasting. Let's celebrate that. Put your hands together and celebrate that. The good news of, of knowing Jesus has conquered death. So this describes how Jesus loves all of us, the world. We're included in the world. Tell the person next to you, Jesus loves you no matter what. No matter what, no matter what. He loves you if you're brilliant. He loves you if you're not. He loves you if you're cute. He loves you if you don't think you're cute. He just loves you. He loves you. So how does he love us? I'm going to kind of work with this over the course of the next several weeks. But if you look at this text, there's a couple of ways that it talks about. It. Number one, it says he loves the world, loves us so that he gave. Everybody shout gave. Gave, gave. gave. Uh, Jesus loves us generously. That's this notion of gave. He didn't just stop with generosity. It says that he gave his one and only son. That's extravagant. To, to give the only son that you have, you give it to, to us that we might live. And that son ultimately freely gave his life. Shout extravagantly. extravagantly. He didn't just love us generously. He loves us extravagantly generous. And then it says, he also loves us unconditionally. It says, well, whosoever will believe in him shall not perish, shall not die, but have everlasting life. Who, whoever, meaning, here's the point. Jesus goes ahead and dies. He sheds his life and his blood for all of us before we're born. He conquers death. And now here we are, we are alive. And we get to decide to respond to his love or we can decide not to respond to his love. So what that means is there's no conditions on what he did. He did it unconditionally. We're free to accept or to reject. And then there's this notion of redemption. Everybody shout, redeem. redeem. Jesus loves, man, he, he doesn't just love us generously, but extravagant. No, he loves us unconditionally, extravagantly generous. But his love also always redeems. That means it, 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 it takes what has died and restores life. It takes what is worthless and restores value. It takes where there is no opportunity and no hope and restores possibility and hope. Jesus loves, redeems. That's how he loves you and me. That's how he loves us day in and day out. Extravagantly, generously, unconditionally in ways that redeem us. Tell the person next to you, that's, that's, tell them, that's just good news. It's good news. So, part of the challenge is around awareness, right? It's, 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 you know, God is doing all this remarkable love through his son Jesus. The question is, how aware are we of his and I want to focus for the rest of this day on of his generosity as expressed in his love. Now that's where we get to the story of Luke. It's really three characters in this story. 
There's Jesus. And Jesus is dealing with two people. There's the Pharisee. His name is Simon. And there's the woman who's called a sinner. I want you to ask the person next to you, next to someone, just pick somebody on your right or on your left, or scream across the road, I don't know, find somebody. And, 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 and say, and say uh, which one are you? Oh, y'all not. We need a little bit more practice. Try it again. Uh, say it so I can hear it. Say it so I can hear it. It's like, which one are you? The Pharisee or the sinner? Oh, y'all did it pretty good. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Now that you got a hang of it. Come on, try it. Pick, pick, pick it up. Which one are you? The Pharisee or the sinner? I'll tell you about the Pharisee. It starts talking about the Pharisee in verse 36. It says that this Pharisee, Simon, he extends Jesus' invitation. He says, I want you to come to my house and have dinner with me. Jesus accepts the invitation. It's a wonderful thing. If you invite Jesus, he'll show up. Now, I just told you that there was a group of Pharisees who just totally rejected the notion of who uh, Jesus was. There's another group represented by Nicodemus that was, that was open. Well, I think this Pharisee doesn't fit in either one of those. You know, he's the kind of guy who just like being around popular people. You know, you know anybody like that? I mean, he, Jesus was popular. He said, you got big crowds, why don't you come over down? I mean, this, you know, this is a person who, uh, you know, if there's a celebrity in the house, if, there, if there's somebody of power in the house, I mean, this is the person who says, take a picture with me and him. <laughs> selfie, selfie, selfie. <laughs> All right? That's where he is. He's, he's not caring about uh, uh, extravagant love. No, 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 no. Paul teaches us a little bit about this person and uh, uh, in describing his own life. Here, here's, here's how I want to describe this person. Uh, 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 this, this person sees himself as self-sufficient. Everybody shout, self-sufficient. self-sufficient. When you say self-sufficient, what you're saying is uh, and we've said this in some ways. I don't need anybody. I'm all right all by myself. And you're referring to you man. You look at your culture. You look at your money. You look at your position of power. Uh, you look at the degrees that you have on the wall, and you said, "This is what I've done. I'm bad, self-sufficient." The way you live your life suggests I don't need any God. What has God done for me lately? Look at all of my accomplishments. Shout self-sufficient. Paul describes this. He says, as a Pharisee, he says this is kind of who he was. uh, I'm only going to put verse 6 of uh, Philippians chapter 3 up there, but the conversation really starts in verse 4 of the chapter. Paul Paul says, look, I used to to put all of my confidence in me. I was self-sufficient. He said, listen. I had it all going. You're talking about credentials. Said, Look, I was born, uh, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a pure-blooded Jew. 
Matter of fact, I can track my lineage back to the Benjamin tribe, which is the same tribe that the first king of Israel, Saul, came from. I'm in the royal royal bloodline. I'm I'm somebody. He said, said, as a matter of fact, when I had confidence in myself, he said, said, I'd look at my credentials. Man, I'm a Pharisee. Come on now. Everybody shout, Pharisee. No, you got to say it with attitude. You got to say, Pharisee. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Pharisee. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. If, 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 you know, you got to have a little swag when you say, I'm a Pharisee. Come on. I, 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 uh, I, uh, he, he describes it, says, when it comes to uh, uh, being so committed to our theology, you know, I mean, I persecuted the church. I was so committed to purifying our theology. And when it came to righteousness uh, as it relates to the Jewish law, well, let me tell you, I was Faultless. Everybody shout faultless. Paul is saying, when I was in this self-sufficient place, God couldn't do nothing for me. Because I didn't have a need for God. Or rather, I didn't know I had a need for God. It didn't matter to me about hearing about his extravagant, generous grace and forgiveness. That didn't matter to me because, listen, I was faultless. I didn't need no grace. So, Paul, fault. You know, it's hard being married to a self-sufficient person or dating a self-sufficient person are trying to care for older parents who are self-sufficient even though they're health about me. Meaning, it's hard dealing with people who, who are basically makes the, who have decided, I don't need no help. They have a tendency of kind of closing their heart. And, and, and what we know is that love tends to thrive in an environment of need. Everybody wants to be needed by the people that they love. It's mutual. If you don't need me, it suggests that the heart is closed. Paul is saying that described him before he realized, became aware. Really? He thought he was in the territory of the Pharisee, but ultimately he was standing in the group with the woman who was labeled a sinner. Here's how Paul ultimately will describe it later after encountering Jesus and Jesus totally flipping his life right side up in 1 Timothy 1.15. Here's what Paul will say. This is a trustworthy saying, Paul says now. And everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save to rescue, to redeem sinners. And I am the worst of them all. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Luke would suggest that there's probably two groups of people here. There is the Pharisee group. It's a group of people who said, I showed up to church today because, you know, It's a nice place to go. It's a diverse community, and I like to be in diverse communities. Makes me feel good about my philosophy and my so forth. I I like the preacher. He's entertaining every now and then. (laughs) He makes me laugh. I don't go to sleep. First time I've not gone to sleep. So I showed up because of that. 
uh, uh, but, but, but I didn't show up because I have this desperate need to be loved and saved and rescued. Oh, I don't know what I mean. I mean, I'm educated, I'm powerful, I'm handsome. Got a lot of folk calling me. You're thinking, maybe I have a little need. Luke says, he ain't dogging y'all. He's just saying, you're in a Pharisee group. But welcome. The church is a great place for this Pharisee group. But me, let me just tell you, I'm like Paul. I'm in the women's group. That's right. That's right. Whatever it says, it's labeled there. It says, sinners. That's me. Ask first next to you. Do you know any sinners in your life? That's what this woman, she, she comes with full awareness. The culture has reminded her. The power structure around her has reminded her. Her inability to break patterns in her life that's destructive has reminded her. She, she realized that she's a person who, while there may be a lot of goodness in her, she tends to leak. We don't actually get the pre-story. But we, we, we know it happened. This is not her first encounter with Jesus as she, as she comes in. As a matter of fact, she comes into the house because the scholars tell us she had evidently had an encounter with him previously. Maybe she was in the crowds where he was preaching. And she, she came to believe that he was who he said he Well, maybe in some kind of way he, he stopped and maybe he dealt with her like he dealt with the woman with the issue of blood. Or maybe he dealt with her like he, he, he dealt with the woman who stood at the well. Maybe he dealt with her like he did with the woman uh, who was all bent over. And he called out of the corner in front of the people and touched her and stood up. I, I, I don't know. But somewhere, she was somewhere in the story. And it's a reminder that whenever Jesus deals with women or the marginalized, whenever he touches, he doesn't push you down. He enables you to stand up. That's just how Jesus does it. Restores value to where there's no value. Restores hope to where there's hopelessness. Restores, come on now, opportunity where there, there seems to be endless, uh, a list of no possibilities. Uh, and it starts with his ability to forgive generously. I don't know what the conversation was. I don't know where the encounter took place. But God has changed her life. She could have been in the choir singing the song. Did you hear him sing? He, he, he showed me that I was worth it. I was worth his dying for. It was after the encounter that she comes in. And, and it, back in that day, they would, they would recline at the table. So really Jesus is stretched out, laying at his feet, and she comes in behind you read the text closely, she, she, she wasn't trying to make a scene, but rather she wasn't really caring a lot about who saw her because she was focused on just trying to show some gratitude to the one who had generously forgiven her. And when she walked in, watch it, everybody else looked at her 
they thought they recognized her. They labeled her, that's the sinner, most likely the prostitute. Surely there were some men in the room that had been with her in the night hours. She walks in. Look at her. She's an uninvited guest. I can imagine the room getting kind of tension filled. She walks behind him. Understand this. Just because you see me doesn't mean you see me. You see, she had had an encounter. And so when she walks in, come on now, the Pharisee said, oh, that's that sinner. But that is not who she was anymore. That's who she was maybe last week. Come on now. But when she walks into that house, she's already had an encounter with Jesus. And, 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 And who you call a sinner, the woman would tell you, I'm not a sinner. I'm a forgiving sinner. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. I'm a forgiven sinner. And, uh, I think what had happened was she really, she really just was going to pour some expensive oil as a kind of gratitude gets see generosity. When you're forgiven, when you're loved that way, you want to respond generously. She was going to pour this expensive. But I think what happened was that when she got close, she, she got there and she started thinking about who she used to be. She started thinking about what people were saying about her. She started thinking about the brokenness of her yesterday. And she started thinking about all the men that had touched her and left her worse off. And then she started thinking about this one. Y'all ain't listening. This one. Loved her without even really having to touch her. Come on, this one restored value. Didn't ask for nothing. Gave her back her dignity and her value. And and while she was there, come on now, she started thinking about him. Reminded her how loved she was by eternity. Come on now. And so her tears just started to fall. Started to fall. And as it fell, she realized... Oh my God, I'm crying on his feet. So she, she just trying to fix it, right? She lets her hair down and dry the feet. But that's a social faux pas. Be careful judging people. You may know the what that they did, but you don't know the why. Sometimes we do the wrong what for the right whys. And sometimes we do the right what for the wrong whys. The sinner. Shout sinner! Forgiven. And then the dialogue breaks out. The guy says, clearly he doesn't know. He ain't no prophet. Because he was a prophet. And he wouldn't let, he, he know who this woman is. She's a sinner touching him. Oh, I'm so glad. Can I make an announcement? Jesus invites all sinners to touch him. You know, and that's a big day. And in his day, you know, you didn't allow somebody unclean to touch you because that would make you unclean if you were part of the prophetic of the rabbinical ministry. Uh, you didn't touch anything that was unclean. But what's unique about Jesus, come on now, is that, is that you can't contaminate him. But when you touch him, he decontaminates you. Come on now. Shout Hallelujah. Good God Almighty. 
Oh, I'm trying to finish this thing. Hold on. Oh, God. All right, all right. So, Jesus reads his thoughts. Ask the person next to you. Uh, Ask him, if Jesus could read your thoughts, what would he hear? You didn't ask nobody. Come on, ask him. (laughs) If Jesus could read your thoughts, what would he hear? I got news for you. He already heard it. And he still loves you. He says to Simon, Simon, let me ask you a question. Here's a story. He says, I got two guys. Notice he asks the question, which one of these two loves him, the creditor, in the story? He says, there's a creditor. He says, one guy owes him uh, 500 denaro. That's 500 silver pieces. That's, each silver piece represents one day labor. So that's like a, a, a year and a half of your annual salary owed it. The other one owed 50 silver pieces. It's like two and a half months of your salary. He says, neither could pay. He says, so the guy forgave both of them. In other words, canceled the debt. I'm backing into something. He said, now which one would love the creditor the most? Remember, the creditor represents God. The two, little, much, represented the Pharisee in the center. The Pharisee said, well, I guess the one that's been forgiven much. And Jesus says, ah, you got it. He said, you see, forgiveness is the greatest expression of God's generosity. He said, that woman experienced it. So, and you didn't. That explains the distinction in your behavior. He said, I came to your house. You didn't have to do it, but what you do for most rabbinical people is that when they come in off of the dusty road, you take some water and wash their feet, cool them off. He said, you didn't, but he said, she used her tears and her hair to dry. I said, you know, he said, he said, he said, he said, typically what you do with a breach, you didn't have to, you didn't breach protocol just by inviting me in. But if you really wanted to treat me special, you would have given me a kiss of greeting. He, you, he said, you didn't. He said, but she, she's kissed my feet for this whole period of time. Somebody say generosity. He said, he said, what you, what you, what you, what, what, you didn't break protocol, but, 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 but typically what happens if the rabbi comes in, uh, uh, you run and get cheap olive oil. Shout cheap. Because it's plentiful. Just get cheap olive oil. You pour it on his head. Cool him off. He said, you didn't put any oil on my head, but this woman took probably what she had purchased from her, her nights. But she redeemed it by taking it, poured it on the Savior. Shout generosity. (laughs) Because she had been forgiven much. She loves greatly. Oh, Lord. Let me show you a tape. Uh, This is a big debate. And I want to step into it. The white police lady went to the wrong apartment. Amber Guger 
shot both in Jean. A youth minister and a Christian killed him. The brother is on the, on the, in the testifying scene. Run the tape. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. I want to see the power of generosity expressed in forgiveness. Now, let me acknowledge, I know there's high controversy, especially in the African-American community. The call has come, why do we have to keep forgiving? In other words, why are we always on the wrong side of the iron foot of oppression and injustice? I, let me acknowledge that. I acknowledge that. And, and let, let me tell you what I told some other folk while I was away. Watch this. It's possible for you to affirm the power of forgiveness and still pursue justice at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. But I'm showing you this not to get in that argument. I want to give you a picture I, I want you to substitute the brother for Jesus. And I want you to substitute the woman for you. And I want you to hear Jesus. That's what the gospel is, y'all. That's the generosity of his forgiveness. Saying, I, I, I don't want to see you damned. I, I don't want to see you condemned. This is John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Come on now. I, I don't want to see you lost. I, I know you're trapped in imperfection. I know sin is tripping you up. I, I, I know you're broke. I know you're leaking. I know you, your hope has, has drifted from you. I, I, I know you remember all the bad things you've done. Your, your mama says, I can't handle you no more. Your ex says, you're no good. But, but Jesus says, I want to hear you. And yes, you have sinned and you have sinned much. But here's how much I love you. Can you hear Jesus saying this? Uh -huh. I'll pay the price that you owe on Calvary. I'll handle the justice. Come on now. And now I'm bumming to you with outstretched arms saying, will you let me love you? Will you let me embrace you? Will you welcome the Christ into your life? That's the message of the gospel.
And if you know what a sinner you are, you would break. You would feel the emotion that the murderer felt. Because that's generous love. And it makes us want to be generous in how we love. That's why we do be rich to others. Now let me end it here. When I thought about this, when I thought about the woman, I thought about something else. The woman in the text is in fact a sinner. But she also reminds me of another group of women who are marginalized, who come up as this woman had, not the court woman, but the woman in the text, who come up on the wrong side of people of power, who often take advantage of them. And they end up feeling unlovable, not because of the sin they've done, but because of the sin that's done to them. The other week, several months ago, I had some of the members of my Congolese community. They came and met with me. They said, Pastor, we've been listening to your message. And we've been inspired to love generously. Kanenda and Charlotte. And they told me about their country, the Congo, that has been noted by the UN as the rape capital of the world. What they explained to me is that there's an element called Kotan, which is used in all of our cell phones and touchscreen TV. The Congo produces 85% of what we all have in our pockets. And yet, the warlords, to get rich, are fighting over it. And they've turned rape into a weapon of war. And they've raped every hour, 45 women and girls are mercilessly raped. And when you're raped in the Congo, you have to leave your home and your family. You've been befriended. And, 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 and Kanenda and his wife Charlotte, they're from the Congo. And, 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 and God moved on them. They, they said, we, we, we've got to find a way to remind those people who feel unlovable because of who sinned against them. That yes, the same Jesus that the pastor's been talking about is the same one who declares they are more precious to him than diamonds. So they said, Pastor, we're just trying to mobilize some people to first of all just start praying for the women. And then he said, maybe we can identify some one-on-one. Some, some, maybe there's some people in NBCC who will say, let me know a name of one woman and I'll pray for them. And, and, and I will, and if, you, if, I, if I really know the name, I'll send them a letter, we'll translate it. We'll become a part of this movement to let them know how valued they are as we pray for healing and for help. So if you want to do that, there's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a couple right here. Charlotte is sitting right up here and her husband is sitting right up. Stand up so they can applaud y'all. These are founders of NBCC stretching back into their homeland. 
being witnesses of Jesus. Somebody shout amen. If you want to be a part of that, there it is. Or go to our website. You can get it right there. They'll respond to you. But now, at the end of the day, if you know the grace of Jesus, then I'm asking you to leave out of here. Go be generous with your love. That's what we're going to do in the schools. We're going to do it in Redwood City and San Jose. We're going to do it in Nigeria. We're going to do it in, in uh, Chathamango. Once you go do it in your house, that's your job. You know why? Because Jesus has forgiven you and me generously of much. Give God a hand praise.